To put it bluntly, this week I've made the risky decision to make an episode about modern Anglo-Oklahoma relations, obviously uh, out of observance and respect for the European Championships final, which is going to be played between England and Italy uh, on Sunday, July 11th. I'm recording this before the game, but the episode is going to come after the game, so I might be very embarrassed when I publish this episode, but you know, it's a risk we're willing to take. So that's what we're going to talk about this week. Anglo-Oklahoma relations. Welcome to the show. Everybody and welcome to the America of America podcast. As always, I'm Will Milam, and this is the show. Like I said in the cold open, this week we're going to talk about modern Anglo-Oklahoma relations, which is such a niche and small topic that I really don't know if much has been written on it at all, or at least I did not know this until I tried to research it and realized this is a very niche topic on which very little has actually been done. But we're going to forge ahead anyway because uh, like any, I wouldn't actually consider myself a soccer association football fan, but you know, any uh, athletics fan has been keeping up with uh, the European championships and um, we've been watching uh, the English really come around. Uh, The English uh, national football team hasn't been uh, quite as good as uh, I'd want them to be in my recent memory or my lifetime. So it's very cool to see the English national team, especially the amount of uh, amount of adversity that the United Kingdom, England and the United Kingdom specifically have faced uh, since obviously the outbreaks of COVID with variants of COVID in the country, as well as the death of the Duke of Edinburgh. Uh, so it's, it's a very kind of awesome not really fairy tale because I, I would say that, but I mean the English national football team is excellent. Um, obviously, Harry Kane and Raheem Sterling also being led by Gareth Southgate. Obviously, that's that's an excellent, excellent, excellent soccer team. But it's still cool to see that that kind of ability come to fruition the way that it has over these last couple of weeks. And I'm very excited to watch uh, England Italy tomorrow. I'm also I I do admire Italian soccer so. Uh, it's going to be, it's going to be a fun match to watch. Um, especially for an American who's not, uh, who's not, you know, super familiar with football in the way the Europeans or the South Americans are, but you know, it's going to be, it's going to be a good time. So I thought that this would be a good opportunity to just kind of run over, uh, modern American, uh, or excuse me, Oklahoma in English relations. First of all, I'm going to focus on modern Anglo English, probably extend that out to British relations. Uh, the reason being is because we're going to talk about, you know, the relationships between, you know, the states as a whole or individual states and the United Kingdom. That's just really to a large part, the history of the United States. Um, obviously, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we, or less than a week ago, we were celebrating, uh, the United States's independence from Great Britain. And obviously, we inherited a culture, religion, language, and largely a governmental system 
from that country. So the history of the United States is basically just an extension of the history of Britain. But uh, I so I wanted to focus on the more niche topic of since statehood um, in Oklahoma, what has uh, what have we done in relation to England? And obviously, this ran into a lot of problems because in terms of uh, I'm not going to belittle Oklahoma because I made an entire podcast about Oklahoma history and culture. I live in Oklahoma. I absolutely love Oklahoma. I think this is a great place. Uh, but we don't make a lot of splashes on the international stage, so there's really not much of a reason for us to be involved with uh, British politics or British relations, especially the relations between uh, the United States and Great Britain. Um, the closest that I could even come to, you know, kind of a cool story actually had nothing to do with Oklahoma, but had to do with Texas. Um, obviously, Oklahoma is not Texas. Anybody, anybody who listens to this even semi-regularly knows that. Uh, but I did find an interesting quip that when Texas was its own independent country, obviously in the early part of the 1800s, um, when the Texas Republic was a thing, they actually had an ambassador to St. James, meaning that uh, the Texas government sent an ambassador all the way to London to uh, be an ambassador at the court of St. James. Um, that'd be really cool. Governor Abbott, if you're listening to this, which I know you're not, but if you were, even though I'm not a resident of Texas anymore, if you'd give me that job, I would absolutely do that job. I would come back and do that job for you. But uh, okay, with that digression's gone, we're moving back to Oklahoma. Because no one in England really should have any particular reason, unless you're particularly interested in American politics and geography or just American culture in general, none. I wouldn't expect uh, your average Englishman to really know much about Oklahoma at all. Uh, unless obviously Oklahomans would move to England, but there is a lot of uh, the the relationship between English and Oklahoma culture really exists with uh, British immigrants to Oklahoma and kind of the preservation of Anglo culture in the state of Oklahoma. So that's most of the stuff that I found that still exists now. In 2010, David Christopher uh, took up this topic specifically when writing for the Oklahoman on. Uh, English clubs that existed in Oklahoma. And one of the most striking uh, declarations that Mr. Christopher makes in his article comes in the first uh, first paragraph where he basically says that the clubs are basically non-existent. Um, they existed in Tulsa. I'm not sure if it's still around, but it was basically like an English brunch club where the expats would get together once a week or once a month and kind of talk about, um, you know, coming from England. Christopher, I think... Uh, chalks that up to kind of the most obvious. And like I said earlier, because American culture is truly basically originally a derivative of English culture. And then obviously uh, America, as we, as Americans take in more immigrant groups, the culture kind of melts and changes. Um, the If you think about the melting pot that a lot of us were taught in school. So American culture is a little bit more dynamic. Obviously English culture is a lot more dynamic as well from obviously the 18th century. But it still kind of remains that uh, Anglo-Americans, by that I mean um, Englishmen and women who moved to the United States probably have a little bit easier time uh, integrating into the culture than maybe uh, some other immigrants who don't have that uh, like English-derived culture. So that, uh, Christopher kind of chalks up to you one of the reasons why there isn't that really defined subset of Anglo-culture in uh, Oklahoma. And uh, trying to back that up, the only looking for, say, if you wanted a dedicated English goods store, 
you'd have to drive to Broken Arrow, which is a suburb of Tulsa, to find that. Like, you know, if you're if you're in the largest city in Oklahoma, in Oklahoma, which is Oklahoma City, where I am right now, you know, if we looked for something like that, you know, we'd be hard pressed and be out of luck, and we'd have to go online. When I came back from England in summer 2019, I got back to Oklahoma City. The only thing in the world that I wanted was a steak pie. Uh, it was basically impossible to find a steak pie in Oklahoma City or really all, anywhere in Oklahoma. Uh, there are some Irish restaurants that will do kind of a meat, uh, minced meat pie and then uh, specials they'll do steak pies. But there, there's not even a what I thought was the <laughs> truly the, the best Anglo dish, uh, especially in major American cities. Like we don't have a dedicated restaurant to it, and it's it was just kind of incredible how hard uh, you know cuisine like that was to find. My one personal connection to England was having a, a teacher and cross-country coach in high school who was from Birmingham, and so just picking up random uh, random little English jargon related to running and soccer and other stuff like that, which I've kind of kept around, which now uh, my friends and I kind of keep as, uh, as inside jokes. But for our personal relationship, that's, that's as, about as far as it goes. So that's kind of where Christopher ends his piece, but that doesn't mean that there's zero history between Anglo and Oklahoma relations. And Christopher does include what I think is actually a really interesting little story. There's an Oklahoma historian named uh, Paula Denson who bought a box of letters uh, from the years 1941 to 1947, which, you know, is the years of the of America's involvement in World War II. In uh, amongst these letters were letters written by RAF, so Royal Air Force cadets, to their families when they were in Oklahoma. So to put this in, uh, to put this in context, RAF pilots in World War II would come to Oklahoma, specifically Ponca City, to train. And so uh, over the period of World War II, we had two thousand RAF cadets in Ponca City in Miami, Oklahoma. And these letters do a good job of uh, describing the strong bonds that develop between uh, the RAF cadets as well as the the the, the local civilians in in uh, in Ponca City and uh, and in Miami. And I, I thought one of the most um, kind of heartwarming tidbits was that apparently a couple of those pilots uh, actually returned to Miami and Ponca City after after the war and married their their Oklahoma sweethearts. So I guess we did we did gain a little bit from the uh, from the English population. And if you can hear the background noise in my microphone, that is because I am recording this during a thunderstorm because I live in Oklahoma City and this is what happens to us. But thunderstorms aside, I'm gonna leave you guys uh, this week with our last bit of Anglo Oki relations, which is going to be the twinning of Stroud, Oklahoma and Stroud, England. Now, lots of twin towns or twinnings of towns and cities between American cities and European cities will often be because the names of the cities in America are named after the cities in Europe. So if you listen to this podcast, um, uh, you'll know that Prague, Oklahoma was named after Prague, the capital, traditional capital of Bohemia, now the capital of the Czech Republic. Those are not twin cities. Uh, there's really nothing related to those cities between, uh, or I guess, except for the fact that Prague, Oklahoma was founded by Czech immigrants. Uh, but to think about a city like New York, which is obviously based on 
York in England or Boston, which is based on Boston, England, or any other. I mean, the, it's a, there's a plethora, obviously, of names that are derived from uh, English cities. Stroud is not one of those cities. Stroud, Oklahoma, was actually just named after a famous uh, local resident who had the last name of Stroud. But it did make sense if we were going to twin that town with somewhere that we're going to twin it with England because Stroud is an Anglo name. So we connected Stroud, Oklahoma with Stroud, England. Stroud, Oklahoma, like I said, was named after a local man named James Rexel Stroud, who in the eight late 1800s, so I think it's 1892, opened up a post office and general store near his homestead, and his homestead site would eventually become the site of the town. Stroud, Oklahoma is also located in Lincoln County, and it sits uh, a bit between Oklahoma City and Tulsa, so it's uh, actually easy to get to by major highways. Um, It was famous in its early days, I guess, uh, before the incorporation of the state of Oklahoma as being a whiskey town. Now, if you remember No Man's Land, uh, these whiskey towns were very famous, especially um, for Kansas residents in the Kansas Territory, because those were dry counties and they would come into No Man's Land and what became the Oklahoma Panhandle to places like Beer City to drink beer, obviously. Um, an interesting fact about Oklahoma Territory and Indian Territory, and if, if you're Just imagine with me the Indian Territory being that eastern and southeastern part of the state of Oklahoma where the tribes had sovereignty, whereas in central Oklahoma you had Oklahoma Territory, which was more like unassigned lands or what would become the unassigned lands. Uh, A lot of those Indian Territory lands were dry, um, but a lot of the lands in Oklahoma Territory were not. In one of those places that was wet, meaning that you could sell alcohol, was Stroud, or what would be known as Stroud today. So Stroud actually got its start as kind of a Wild West whiskey town, something like No Man's Land, which if you want to hear about the the crazy stories about those towns, you can go back and listen to that episode, and I highly recommend it. But that was a wild bit of uh, of early Stroud, and unfortunately, Stroud is also very famous for uh, a race riot in 1901. So 20 years before, obviously, um, the most famous American race riot in Tulsa being the Tulsa Race Massacre. And after that, Stroud uh, developed, rightly, a very negative reputation as being a sundown town, basically meaning where African-American citizens uh, could not legally be in the city limits after sundown, which was one of uh, the longest lasting effects of anti-black racism in the United States. Today, Stroud actually has kind of a niche, uh, a niche market in Oklahoma as being the winery capital of Oklahoma. Now, here's a fun little digression. My father and I actually tried to make wine at one point. We live uh, in Oklahoma City with uh, that great Oklahoma City climate, not known for viniculture, not known for growing wine grapes. But, you know, my dad took a couple classes on and thought it'd be a fun hobby. So we went out and we planted and we... Uh, we worked on growing those grapes for a couple of years and we tried to bake our own wine and it failed miserably. I cannot describe anything I have failed harder at life than, than making wine. But apparently in Stroud, Oklahoma, they make wine there. You know, maybe I will try a bottle and I will let you know if it's any good. But if it's anything like the other Oklahoma wine I've had, I would not recommend it. But, you know, I thought that was a little bit interesting tidbit about Stroud, Oklahoma. Conversely, Stroud, England sits nestled in Gloucestershire, England, 
which is also surrounded by the Cotswolds, which is the arguably with the Lake District, the most beautiful natural scenery in all of England. And here's where I get to the part of the episode where I make a confession. I know very little about Stroud. I know very little about Gloucestershire. I really, I think it would be disrespectful if I came in here and I pontificated uh, like I knew much more than just reading a Wikipedia article. Um, I did travel a little bit through Gloucestershire uh, last time I was in England, but I, I didn't get to see Stroud or really a lot of the cities that are worth seeing. Um, from what I have read, I understand that they have uh, some Neolithic remains and some Roman ruins that I would really be interested in seeing. And I also saw that the uh, the Sunday Times this year, being 2021, actually listed Stroud as being one of the best places to live in the United Kingdom. So by all accounts, it actually seems like a very attractive city to go to. I know that we have very few listeners in the UK. Uh, we have a couple. Um, if any of you are familiar uh, with Stroud, please feel free to email me and let you let me know what you think about it. I did see that uh, the United Kingdom government, or specifically England, actually, um, is planning on letting vaccinated Americans uh, come back for quarantine-free um, travel. Uh, I, I do plan on traveling to Europe in August, so next month from now. I'm recording this in July. Um at the tail end of that trip, I would actually like to go to the UK. So one of the places I would like to go see is Stroud, and I'd like to go see some other places. But so if you have any interest in uh, letting me know about this uh, this place, feel free because I think it would be useful for the podcast. And with that, that's the uh, that's the end of our very short, but I hopefully not useless episode on Anglo Oki or Anglo Oklahoma relations. Um, I am reporting this this last part after the end of the Euro final, and I am very sad, but life will go on. Um, but while I've got your attention, uh, I want to give a shout out to a podcast that I started listening to. Um, I ran into um, last week while I was studying for the bar exam, I ran into a professor of mine from undergrad who is an English professor at the University of Oklahoma. And was one of the most profound professors I ever had in changing my my opinions on literature and really the study of literature and that literature should be taken seriously. I was a business economics major and I took uh, a couple of literature classes as elective classes um, when I was in the honors college at the University of Oklahoma. And it, a couple of professors there just absolutely blew me away. And this professor I ran into uh, was one of those professors. And he has started the podcast called Professing Literature, and it's available on iTunes um, or on Apple Podcasts. Uh, I, I imagine it's probably available on other app or on other podcast um, platforms, but I just haven't checked. Uh, he and the professor is uh, Dr. David K. Anderson at the University of Oklahoma. Just you meet a couple of people in your life, uh, especially academics, who just have an absolute love and passion for what they study. Um, I bet, I guess actually a lot of academics do or else they wouldn't be in the field that they're in, but I haven't met a lot of professors who really just exude their love and their passion for their subject matter the way that Dr. Anderson does. And it was very prevalent in his lectures in undergrad. I took a class called The Bible and John Milton, and we had to read through all the Paradise Lost and I don't think that there's ever going to be another context in my life where I can read through all of Paradise Lost that wasn't this class. And Professor Anderson not only made Milton 
bearable, but he made Milton interesting and he made, he was able to get the students actually participate and understand uh, Milton's poem. And uh, Professor Anderson was also involved with a couple of the great classes at the University of Oklahoma, which things like the Auden course, I'm not sure if they still teach it there, but uh, I had to pay, you know, a lot of money to take those classes because I was a student. But in the Professing Literature podcast, Professor Anderson basically takes all of his skills as a lecturer and just puts it out there for free. And you can just see his love of the subject. And I just recently listened to that first episode where he goes over Shakespeare's Hamlet. No, Shakespeare's Macbeth. I apologize. Shakespeare's Macbeth. And it was just absolutely blew me away. And I'm not going to give I'm not going to give away too much of it because I want you to go listen to that. But if you have the time, professing literature, uh, it's one of the great podcasts that I've heard in a while. And also, I guess, because it had to do with uh, with Macbeth and we're talking about Anglo Oki relations that, you know, I'm talking about a Shakespeare play. So, you know, it actually fits in the episode. So if you have a hankering to go drink a real drink a glass of real great tea and listen to a good podcast on English culture and history, I would recommend you go do that. And with that, I'm going to leave you all for next week and I'm excited to see everybody next week when hopefully we're in a little bit happier times. And as always, I'm Will Milam. This is the America of America podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Bye-bye.